This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. All right, guys, today we've got a special guest on the podcast. His name is Ray Comfort. So he is a Christian apologist, evangelist, author, and speaker. And he's written, get this, over 100 books. Over 100 books. Makes me feel bad that I have zero, guys. You know, maybe one day. But these include Faith is for Weak People, Anyone But Me, Why Would Anyone Follow Jesus, and his newest book that we spend quite a bit of time on today, So Many Lions, So Few Daniels. So, guys, that will be in the show notes. You can check that out. But he started a ministry called Living Waters Publications, and he's also the co-host of the award-winning TV program, Way of the Master. He even has a YouTube channel that has over a million subscribers, around 1.2 million subscribers, and his videos have been viewed over 200 million times. And you might know that name, and it will hit your ears the same way that did for me when I was pitched this interview, because I have to go all the way back to, like, junior high school. Okay, so this is about the time I... I can't remember if it was right before I became a Christian or right after I became a Christian. But, you know, I, I would go Saturday nights. I would go stay at my dad's house and then I would go to church in the morning. He dropped me off and then come pick me up and that whole deal. But whenever he would go to sleep, I would just sit there and, you know, scroll the channels and I would go to TBN late on Saturday, like 10 or 11 o'clock on Saturday. And that's when they would show like the cool teenage like version of TBN. And so it would be like skateboarding videos. And then, you know, you could watch the new music video from POD or Project 86 or someone like that. But then after that program would, would be over, I can't even remember the name of it. There would be this, these videos of this guy interviewing people in the street. And he's got this, you know, uh, New Zealand accent, this Kiwi accent off camera. And he's asking these people, these very pointed questions about the 10 commandments and about, you know, where they would go when they would die and those types of things. And it was just really interesting seeing that was probably the first time I saw on the street evangelism. I, I, w- I would almost guarantee that that would be the first time I saw kind of what that looked like. So I was very excited to talk to him about that today. So we actually do kick off the, the episode today a little bit differently. He wanted to pray for us before we got going. So I went ahead and hit record and he mentions tornadoes. And the reason is, is because literally last night, as of the recording of this, we had like a bunch of tornadoes in Oklahoma. There were like six tornado warnings at one time. It was like this big thing that moved across the entire state. So he was praying and thanking God that I had made it through the tornadoes, which I'm very thankful as well. But in this interview, we spent some time, quite a bit of time talking about so many lines, so few Daniels. But the thing that I wrote down during this interview that I thought was very appropriate is condensed greatness. Because that's what I feel like this interview is, because it's only about 30 minutes long or so. Like we didn't talk forever, but there's so much packed into everything that he says, because this is a guy that wakes up and goes to bed terrified that people are going to go to hell that they haven't heard the gospel, that they haven't accepted the gospel. And so he's oriented his entire life around that type of a mindset. And so he's very, very bold. And so you'll notice there are a lot of similar things that I've said on this show before, if you've listened for any length of time, that he's saying as well, it just sounds cooler coming through his voice because he's got this great accent. But, you know, we talk about how he got into ministry, how he became a Christian. But we talked about even this modern state of evangelism where we we don't really want to talk about people's sin and how that's not really doing people any good. And again, it goes back to you're not telling people about who God is in reality. And then you think that you're saving them somehow. But then at the end, I also asked him the question, you know, what about all these people that want to say things like, I want to be known for what I'm for, not what I'm against. Like, what would he say to people like that? So I really, really enjoyed my time with Ray. It was just an absolute treat. So I'm not going to keep him from you any longer. So without further ado, let's get into it. Flesh, how about, uh, <laughs> Hey, we'll, we'll go and get this going, but yeah, if you wouldn't mind praying for us before we get going, let's do it. Yeah. Father, I thank you for Kyle. Thank you for 
protecting him and his family from tornadoes. I pray that you'll uh, continue to keep them in health, give them wisdom, bless this ministry, and bless our time together. We know that without you, we can do nothing, and we don't want to do nothing today. We want to do something substantial for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, let's get after it. Ray Comfort, welcome to Undaunted Life of Man's podcast. Good to be here, Kyle. Thank you. So uh, let's just start simple because obviously you're, you're a Christian evangelist and apologist, but give us the, uh, I guess, Spark Notes 30,000 foot version of how you came to faith in Christ to begin with. Well, I came to faith in Christ because I realized I was dying. At the age of 22, I kind of, I aged prematurely. I'd accomplished everything I wanted to achieve by the age of about 20 years old. Own business, own car, financially okay, complete freedom to go surfing when I wanted. And I thought, man, I'm just waiting around to die. What do I do next? And I realized life was really a Solomon experience. Life became futile, happy though I was. I knew that a sharp pin of reality was going to prick my bubble one day. And that left, that left, me, uh, that left me just crying out, oh, you know, why am I alive? Hmm. And uh, that's, that's incredibly frustrating when you're not a Christian. I, I remember I, I cried out, why? But I wasn't crying out to God as far as I was concerned used to pray at night, but I had no living relationship with the Lord. And uh, six months later, I came to faith in Jesus, born again, made a new creature in Christ, granted everlasting life, and it exploded gratitude in my heart to a point where I just want to serve God with every ounce of energy I've got. And you have been doing so for the last several decades. And I actually remember whenever I was reading through uh, your book, which will your newest book, which we'll get into in just a second. I remember being a in high school because I didn't go to a family. I wasn't in a family that went to church. I started going on my own. And so when I would stay up late on Saturday nights, I would watch like the the cool stuff on TBN. Like it's all the skateboarders that are also into Christ and things like that. But then there would be these interactions where you would be off screen and you would be having these interactions with these non-Christians and you'd be asking them these questions to kind of basically get at, you know, where are they at in terms of their understanding of God, their understanding of their own depravity. And so it's a very unique thing to you. And even to this day on your YouTube channel, you're using a lot of the same questions and asking them in the same cadence. So talk to me a little bit about in evangelism, in apologetics, when you're talking to these people dyadically one-on-one, how did you learn to ask them the questions in that, in that cadence and, and to get them to where they have to reckon with who Jesus is? Boy, that's a, that's a great question. It's called the Socratic method. I didn't really know what it was. It was just a matter of asking question, but questions because it's inoffensive. But it's not my, my, quote, method. I stole it from Jesus. Mark 10, verse 17, the rich young ruler ran to Jesus and said, Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And there's a, there's a wonderful opportunity to get a decision for Jesus. Pray with the guy, but Jesus didn't do that. He said, Why do you call me good? There's none good but God. He corrected his understanding of the word good. And then he said, you know the commandments. Why did he do that? Mm -hmm. Well, he wanted to bring the knowledge of sin. That's the point of God's moral law to bring the knowledge of sin. The apostle Paul said, I had not known sin, but by the law. By the law, sin became exceedingly sinful. So I have two great confidences when I witness to people. One is that they have a, a will to live. And two, we can perhaps get into this a little later, they have a knowledge of right and wrong. The conscience is the work of the law written on the heart, and it bears witness with the commandments. And so when you're asking people these questions now, 
I have a reputation for being fairly forward, fairly aggressive. Whatever personality test you take where it tells you what kind of animal your leadership style is, it's always like the rhinoceros or the hippo or whatever animal runs over all the other animals. And so I've heard it said before, and there's been a critique of your style, that your questions come off as mean and biting and way too forward. And people want everyone to just kind of be nice because we all know the 11th commandment is to be as nice as possible at all times and not make people feel uncomfortable. Now, I, I didn't get that impression. It wasn't until I heard someone else critique you in that way that I was like, okay, I can see why they would say that. But you are very straightforward about people's sin. Tell me a little bit more about that because I agree with the approach, but it really does bother people. Yeah, it bothers people, but people that are bothered, I just say, well, you better send, send your, uh, your thoughts to Jesus because he said, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. For it's better to enter heaven without an eye than go to hell with both your eyes, where the fire is never quenched and the worm never dies. He said, fear not him who has power to kill your body and afterwards do no more, but fear him who has power to kill your body and cast your soul into hell. And, you know, I, I do have a reputation for asking pointed questions like, when did you last look at pornography? Hmm. And that brings shame to people. But imagine the shame of that happening on Judgment Day before a holy God. And so I, I, I liken myself to a good doctor who doesn't talk about the cure when he has a terminal patient in front of him. Instead, he talks about the disease. Because if this guy thinks he's healthy when he's terminal, he's not going to take the, the cure. So a good doctor will pick up a, 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 an x-ray and say, look at this. This poison is seeping through your system. You're going to be dead in two weeks. A good doctor will try and make his patient tremble, bring a bit of sweat to his brow. Mm. Why? Because he's not going to take the cure until he first realizes his disease. He has to face the facts. So I hold up the Ten Commandments and say, look what's happening. You've admitted to me you're a liar, a thief, a blasphemer. You're having sex outside of marriage. You're terminal. You're going to face a holy God and the wages of sin is death. And that's going to come to you on judgment day. God's going to end up casting you into the lake of fire. And that's a fearful thing. So I deliberately try and make people fearful because I know, friend, I know that fear can be a friend, not your enemy, if it's a good fear. Like it's the sort of fear that'll make you put on a parachute on a plane. It's the sort of fear that'll make you put on a seatbelt in a car. And the Bible says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And so I hope that people see that the fear that comes to their own heart because they've sinned against God as a friend, not an enemy, because it'll drive them to God's mercy in Christ. I mean, Ray, I absolutely appreciate that approach because I feel like in our modern time, we don't really use fear or shame as an appropriate weapon for good. So think about the doctor that you just brought up. Doctors now, you know, they'll have someone come in that's significantly overweight. They're on a bunch of pills, this pill to take care of that pill and that prescription to take care of that prescription. And what these people really need to do is they need to spend six months exercising and eating clean. But we don't want to do that. We don't want to judge people. We don't want to make them feel bad. And that's just one of the modern objections that we get. But I mean, Ray, you've dealt for decades and decades and decades through thousands of conversations with people, you've heard every objection possible to how God can't be real, how Jesus couldn't possibly be his son, how heaven and hell aren't real places, how we're just highly evolved monkeys that wear pants and talk to one another. But like, what are some, I guess, the, the toughest objections that you have had to overcome in your career? And are there any that are still a sticking point for you? No, not really. There are difficult ones for most Christians, such as why is this suffering? Why doesn't God help those that are suffering. You know, the guy down the road is dying of cancer. He's in agony. The the, the, the drugs aren't helping him. They're making him worse. And he, and he dies and God doesn't do anything. Why is there suffering? Well, I don't know why God allows suffering, but I do know why there is suffering. 
we live in a fallen creation. Right. And if you get into a brand new, brand new Toyota and you're saying to your friends, hey, look how cool this car has been made and you show them all the high tech stuff. And then you drive into an intersection, the brakes fail and this Toyota or the accelerator sticks, which did happen a few years ago with Toyota. And a lot of people are killed in this terrible suffering in front of you. You don't say, look at the suffering. Therefore, nobody made this car. That's a ridiculous, yeah. illogical leap. It's better to, and right to say, look at all the suffering, therefore something is radically wrong. And when we look at creation, we can see there's a creator. We see amazing design everywhere we look from the atom to the universe. Suffering shouldn't make us say, therefore, nobody made everything and didn't have a maker. There's no God. We should say something is radically wrong. So suffering is a very real evidence that we live in a fallen creation. It substantiates exactly what the Bible says. So a lot of these, these issues that are brought up really aren't questions asked by the ungodly. They're actually excuses to carry on in their sins. They just want to stack a whole lot of bushes between them and God so they can continue having sex with their gorgeous girlfriend or looking at pornography because sin gives incredible pleasure. What we've got to do is get the bushes away and say they're all going to move on Judgment Day and you need to get right with God. You need to fess up now or you're going to lose your soul. Yeah, I mean, it's removing the barriers to entry, but I also think about something that I learned from Frank Turk when he talks about, you know, the, there are these places where are these pianos that are out there, like maybe in a subway station or some random store, and someone sits down. If they start playing Beethoven and they play a piece from Beethoven badly, you don't blame Beethoven, right? Like you, you blame the person that's making the mistake. And so it's similar to what you're saying there with the Toyota experience. But with all these times that you've sat down with people, obviously I've seen your highlight reel, right? You know, and for years and years, we've seen your highlight reel of these things going well, people being in tears and accepting Christ. But there had to have been some horrible experiences that you've had. You, you can't have had all these interactions with people and they all, you know, went off skipping and having a good time. And I know not everybody accepts, accepts Christ right in that moment. But give me some of the dirt. What are some of the bad ones? What are some of the ones that didn't make the YouTube channel? Yeah, well, we actually made them into the YouTube channel. We, mm. We've got a, a, an episode called When Things Go Wrong, where I get chased by a woman. You know, I co-hosted with Kirk Cameron. He gets chased by a woman. I was chased by a woman once, but she wanted to beat me up. There's a kind of a difference. I don't know why. Um, there's other times where I was preaching open air in Jerusalem where I was almost killed. A guy spat on me five times while I was preaching. This is all on video. And, uh, and, and they, they chased the guy with a camera. They want to get a hold of the camera so they couldn't record them beating me up. Got away with that. I was in Santa Monica when I was open air preaching to a crowd of about 40 people. When, it, when a lady, you'll use the F word to describe me. And I said, Madam, can you please watch your language? There are ladies present. Shouldn't have said that because hmm. she said, I'm a lady. And I said, Madam, you may be a woman, but you're not a lady because she'd used the F word so many times. And that she ran at me like a bat out of heaven and beat me to a pulp. I, I mean, she wasn't the normal female. She didn't scratch and pull hair. She looked like she was Mike Tyson's sister. Mm. It took two weeks for the bruising to go. Um, but she doubled my crowd, and she can come back any time. So there are times that things go wrong, but they're few and far between. If you remember a few simple principles, the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle to all men. Don't be a, uh, uh, a smart mouth like I was that day. And don't preach open air in Jerusalem. It's not wise because it has a bad reputation anyway. But most of the times I get away with saying hard sayings and people appreciate it. And at the end, they say, I appreciate you talking to me like this. It's all made sense. Thank you very much. That happens so many times. I think there's there's an inherent boldness in the way that you do things. And one thing that I try to encourage people to do, it's a small thing, but whenever you're you're brought your food at a restaurant and you know they put your stuff in front of you, hey, does everything look right? Hey, is there anything else I can grab you before you dig in? 
one thing that I always do is I say, hey, we're about to bless our meals or something I can pray for you about. Now, you might think that, you know, you're going to get some crazy person that's going to stab you with your steak knife. But like the answers have been everything from, no, nah, man, I'm good. And they awkwardly move away to the the last one. Just last week, this guy was like, yeah, I'm, I'm 70 days sober like today. And I'm this is my job that I have to work to stay in this house, this sober living house. And man, I would really appreciate some prayer to keep this going. And it's like just a little bit of obedience, just a little bit of obedience and boldness and going because it's like worst case scenario, you get stabbed with a steak knife. Well, you know, just be ready for that just in case, because who knows, you, you might get chased down the street. But one thing I did want to talk with you about and one of the main reasons why you're on here today is because in, in addition to the about 100 books that you've written in your life, you got a new one out right now. It's called So Many Lions, So Few Daniels. So I love the title. I just finished the book just a few days ago. But how about you give our audience just a general idea about what the book is about and then we'll dig into it. I haven't really read it. I'm just kidding. Um, it was actually it was actually inspired by atheists, believe it or not. Um, a number of years ago, I saw a T-shirt with uh, uh, the words "So many Christians, so few lions," and I thought, boy, that's as culturally sensitive as "So many blacks, so few lynching ropes," "So many Jews." so few Nazi ovens. So that book was written out of a, um, a righteous indignation. I thought, how dare they? Because we need Christians to be bold. We need Christians who fling open their windows and pray to spite the threats of the world. We just got to realize all who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Yeah, we're going to be hated for his name's sake. But there's more on the line than our rejection. What's on the line is people's eternal salvation. It, Kyle, it horrifies me that people are going to hell. It horrifies me that they're living a life haunted by the fear of death, knowing that every beat of their heart is taking them closer to, a, to their funeral march. It's a, it's a horror beyond words. And so I want Christians to rise up and be bold. And there are certain keys to being bold. You mentioned a waiter before or praying with a waitress. You think how a waitress approaches a table with three businessmen sitting at that table. They've got their little briefcases. They're dressed in suits. They're obviously wheeling and dealing big money. What does she do? Stand in the background and wait for a right time to butt in? Oh, she just walks up and says, can I take your order? Why does she do that? Because she knows she has what they want. They're there to eat food and she's there to get food. And so she's bold. And you and I have what this world wants. They're all haunted by the fear of death. They would give everything they've got to keep their precious life. Nobody in their right mind wants to die. And we've got everlasting life given to us by the God who is life itself. And it's a free gift. So we have what they want. And so we must be bold. And there are certain keys to being bold. As I mentioned before, my two big keys to being bold is number one, I know that I'm not talking to a primate. I know I'm talking to a human being made in the image of God, and God has placed eternity on their hearts. They have a will to live, like my experience. Hmm. Something in them says, oh, I don't want to die. And you can see it. I mean, the gym is packed because people want to extend their life. They want to stay healthy. They eat horrible food, drink green slime to try and make themselves healthy because they want to extend their precious life. No one would sell an eye for a million dollars and no one in their right mind. No one would sell both eyes for a hundred million dollars. And that's just the windows of the soul. So how much more is the soul worth? So I know this person has a will to live. And so I address that when I meet a stranger, I just say to them, do you think there's an afterlife? That's my big 
bold. That's that's what makes me bold. I'll tell you why. When I say to someone, a stranger, hey, how you doing? He says, good. What's your name? Fred. I'm Ray. Fred, i got a question for you. Do you think there's an afterlife? When I ask that question, I'm not talking about Jesus, God, the Bible, sin, righteousness, judgment, heaven or hell. I've just asked a question. Do you think there's an afterlife? It's not offensive. And Fred might say, well, I don't know. I said, you think about it? He says, all the time. I say, you're afraid of death. He might say, yeah, I am actually. Or he might say no. And I say, look, everyone should be afraid of death. Always be afraid of that which could kill you. And death is going to kill you. So have a fear of this thing so you'll do something about it. So I address the will to live. And secondly, I address the conscience. I know that everybody's given a God-given conscience. It's society-shaped, but it's God-given. And so I address it. I say, do you think you're a good person? I move from the intellect, the place of argument, to the conscience, the place of the knowledge of right and wrong. The moment I say, do you think you're a good person, I've moved away from that intellect, which is in a place of hostility, and I'm addressing the conscience, the knowledge of right and wrong. And I know because that conscience is the work of the law written on the heart that it will bear witness. When I say to him, you know, it's wrong to commit adultery. It's wrong to commit murder. It's wrong to lie and steal, don't you? He'll nod in affirmation because of that God-given conscience. The word conscience means with knowledge. So they're my two keys to boldness, and anyone can have that. You know, Kyle, I was behind the door when they gave out um, talent. I can't run, I can't jump, I can't sing, but I can have faith in God. Anyone can have faith in God. Mm -hmm. And so when you have faith in God and you exercise the boldness using those two simple biblical principles, it makes Goliath go down to Zacchaeus. You can do this thing. That, that's a great word. That's great encouragement to everybody listening to this. I'd like to dig into a few quotes from the book to get a little bit more of an expansion and to give guys a taste of what is actually in the book. So let me read this quote to you here. If our conversation, or sorry, if our conversion experience is merely intellectual, it will only be a matter of time until someone with a better intellectual argument causes us to stumble. We will have no shield of faith to resist the flaming arrows of the devil. Faith is the first and last step of the Christian walk. So the reason why I wanted to ask you about this is because I know that there are people that are saved that come to faith in Christ at these you know big revival type things where there's lots of music and a lot of emotional manipulation and oh they're raising their hands and and they actually genuinely accept Christ. But then I also know some other people that accepted Christ more in an intellectual level where they're actually looking at the New Testament and looking at the whether or not we could trust the the people that gave us the accounts of Jesus's life. And so if you were to have them categorize their conversion, they would categorize it as an intellectual conversion that was moved by the Holy Spirit, I guess would be the fairest way to say it. So are, are you saying with a quote like that, that we, we shouldn't rely on intellect? Because even in your, your last answer, you were talking about intellect, but I just wanted to make sure I was clear on that. Yeah, I, I don't rely on the intellect, but I use it as a springboard. It's like when you go fishing tile, you don't just go fishing with bait. If you just got bait on the end of a line, you're going to get a fat, happy fish that gets away. Mm -hmm. Under the bait is a hook. And so intellect or intellectual argument, or apologetics are the bait. We've got a, a whole Bible on apologetical arguments called the Evidence Bible. So I do believe in apologetics, obviously, but I believe they have their right place. The hook goes under the bait. The hook is God's law, those commandments, and the bait. So what I do is I go up to someone sometimes and say, do you think God created man in his own image, or are you you know, a product of evolution? Are you a primate? What am I doing? I'm just baiting. I know exactly where I'm going. I know I'm not going to stay too long with the baiting. I'm going to get to the hook because I want to pull the fish in. And I know that if I pull him in in the intellect, he's not going to repent. Why should he repent? If God, he knows God exists anyway. 
Uh, everybody knows everybody knows God exists. When I meet an atheist, I know I'm not dealing with an intellectual. I'm dealing with a fool according to the Bible. Because here is somebody who believes the scientific impossibility that nothing created everything. Right. I'm not saying he wasn't. He's not saying nothing was in the beginning. He was saying nothing was the prime mover that gave us flowers, birds, trees, sun, moon, stars, seasons, fruits, the marvels of the human eye, male and female, and every species were created by nothing. And I have to explain, and it's embarrassing to do it. I have to say to him, actually, nothing can do nothing because it is nothing. Mm -hmm. That's that's insane. So I know I'm not dealing with an an intellect. I'm dealing with a fool, as the Bible says, because. The invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made. Therefore, they're without excuse. The heavens declare the glory of God. Every time a, an atheist, so-called, so looks at the heavens, he knows God exists because God has given light to every man. So I move away from that excuse. And I've often got atheists to actually agree with me when I say, hey, John, um, be honest with me. This whole atheism thing, it's just because, it's because you don't want God telling you what to do. You don't want him to tell you to stop having sex with your gorgeous girlfriend and you love looking at pornography. They give you great pleasure. Am, am I speaking the truth? And you say, you are actually. It's just it, atheism is just a thin bush they hide behind. But it's not legitimate. It's, gonna, it's not going to hold water on Judgment Day because God's given light to every man. So I move away from the intellect to the conscience fairly quickly because I know it's just a rabbit trail. No, that, that's absolutely a great point. And that's something that all of us need to understand is that when you're talking to somebody, they, they don't have a fully fleshed out viewpoint. They just picked a category, atheist, agnostic, or searching, or they can't really define it. They're just picking a category. There's another quote that I wanted to get your feedback on as well. It's this, his personal love for me is magnified by my understanding of the seriousness of my sin. The more I see my sin, the greater his love seems to me. I deserved wrath, but was given mercy. My sin angered God, but he deferred it in Christ because he loves me. Now, Ray, obviously you're very well aware of this, but there's kind of this seeker sensitive model that's out there where we, we like ignore sin, especially the varsity sins. And we really water down the gospel. And you spend some time in so many lines, so few Daniels talking about the watering down of the gospel. But whenever I read through the Bible, it's like, okay, the church seems to be a place for Christians to be equipped, discipled, and then sent out to create more converts and, and to, you know, help more people become Christians. But it's like these churches, now, big numbers and a lot of people show up on Sunday. They don't actually talk about anything. It's just life lessons with a few Bible verses sprinkled over the top so they can keep their tax exempt status, but they don't want to talk about people's sin. They Or they'll talk about sins that they know nobody's really doing in there, right? And so that nobody feels judged or feel like they're being moved in a, in a negative direction or something like that. But I think you're right. We don't understand the true gift of mercy until we understand all personal depravity. So I guess what's your message to a lot of these seekers sensitive models or ministries to where it's just like, yeah, we're going to ignore your sin and just hope you figure it out on the back end. Yeah, these preachers have become motivational speakers. They're not uh, sons of thunder, thundering out sin, righteousness, and judgment. They're, they're really traitors. They're, they're like Judas. They have a belief in Jesus, but they don't really believe what he said about sin, righteousness, and judgment. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. The Bible says in the last days, there'll be a, a lack of fear of God, just be a form of godliness. And the scriptures say of the, of the world there is none who fears God. They have no fear of God before their eyes. Let me just share something with you that I find very interesting. Um, I have an advantage over most people that preach open air uh, in, in the U.S., and that is I come from New Zealand. And when I was a kid in New Zealand, the police used to hit people with sticks. They didn't have guns. 
Someone was naughty, that hit them with a baton, like that, and that would straighten them out. Same with England. Things have changed now because of the way the world has gone. But when I came to the U.S. and I opened a preach for the first time, was an approached by a, and was approached by a police officer, all I could say as he walked towards me was this. He's got a gun. And it terrified me because I knew if I moved yeah. quickly, put my hand in my pocket, he could legally shoot me. He, he could kill me. He wants to get home that night. And so it's in his, it's in his authority to take my life. So I've been stopped open air preaching over a dozen times. And every time I did not say, First Amendment rights officer, you're a servant of the people. I would say, yes, sir. No, sir. Where do you want me to move, sir? Why? Because he had a gun. Now, listen to the words of Jesus. Fear not him who has power to kill your body and afterwards do no more, but fear him who has power to kill your body and cast your soul into hell. That's more than a reverential fear. That's a fear of what God can do. He can cast into hell. That's the sort of fear I had for the police, and that's the sort of fear I have for God. It's not just a reverential fear. Let me mm -hmm. tell, you, tell you how powerful and how good the fear of God is. When I was 16, this is kind of personal, but it's worth sharing, I found myself out the back of a dance hall in the dark, in long grass with a gorgeous 16-year-old female. It was like heaven for a young guy like me with the hormones kicking in. My intentions were not honorable. But she said something that scared the living daylights out of me, actually put the fear of God in me. And this was six years before I became a Christian. She just said this as we lay there in the dark. She said, you know what? God's watching us. And I immediately stood my feet. It was like a bucket of ice came from the heavens. I said, let's go back into the dance hall. The fear of God kept me from making a terrible mistake. I could have got a pregnant 16-year-old. I could have brought shame to her family, shame to my family. Could have instigated an abortion. But the fear of God caused me to depart from evil, as the Bible says. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And that's what's lacking in contemporary churches. What the preachers don't realize is there's such a thing as a false conversion. The parable of the, the, parable of the sower speaks of true and false conversion the stony ground hearer, the thorny ground hearer, the wayside hearer. And our modern churches are filled with false converts, people that don't fear God. They're not departed from their sin. They've named the name of Christ, but haven't departed from iniquity. And they're the multitude that will call out to Jesus, Lord, Lord, we did many wonderful things in your name. And he'll say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. That's lawlessness. I never knew you. That's a terrifying thought and one that plagues me to be faithful when I talk to people. I don't water down the message because if you water down the medicine, you're going to take away from it its curative properties. Nothing's going to happen. If we water down the gospel and its presentation, it's going to produce false converts and leave people in their sins. And that's a terrifying thought. And it's also about viewing God properly. And you use, you know, fear of God. There, There's a great book by Maddie Montgomery called Scary God. And like, Imagine a pastor saying, yeah, our God's really scary. Like that, that's not a, a way to get people to donate a bunch of money and come back next Sunday. But there's another quote where you kind of deal with this in the book and then we'll leave uh, so many lines, so few Daniels there. God didn't rain watery tears onto Sodom and Gomorrah. He rained down fire and brimstone. My sin doesn't hurt God. It angers him. It angers him because he loves that which is holy, just, and good. A good judge isn't hurt by the wicked crimes of a criminal. When a criminal commits rape and murder, the judge is grieved for the family, but he's furious at the one who committed the crime. 
And so specifically with Sodom and Gomorrah, we've, we've seen modern preachers kind of tut tut around homosexuality and, and sexual sin. We've seen a uh, prominent pastor say things like, ah, you know, the Bible only whispers about uh, sexuality and things, things like that. And they're saying these things is purportedly to make LGBTQ plus affirming or you know, statements or these people that identify that way, wanting to make sure that they feel comfortable in their sin while sitting in their pews or their fancy modern chairs. And so talk to me a little bit more about viewing God in the appropriate way, because yes, God is love. God is loving, but God cannot be in the presence of sin. It's 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 a wholly unloving thing to do to someone to say, yeah, your sin is somehow different than mine because you're in a protected class and you have a whole month uh, about your pride and things like that. But I feel like we've gotten to this modern moment where a lot of pastors have taken the postmodern nonsense lie that, well, that's your lived experience and you've never struggled with same-sex attraction. So we're not really going to talk about the hellfire and brimstone that was brought down on Sodom and Gomorrah because we want to make sure these people come back next Sunday, as opposed to saying, hey, we need to deal with your sin. God's scary. Just figure it out. You know, I've struggled with adultery since I was a little kid. I've always wanted to sleep with gorgeous women, whether they're married or not. It's always been a temptation. I was born like it, but it doesn't make it right. That's why the homosexual has to be born again. God will give them a new heart. He'll give them a new nature. And so I love homosexuals. I'm not going to say, oh, you're homosexual. Okay, that that disqualifies you from hearing how you can find everlasting life. No, it's just the opposite. I love this guy, and I'm going to tell him that what he's doing is sinning against God, like adultery, fornication, blasphemy, lying, and stealing, and he needs to repent of all sin. Excuse me, tadpole in the throat trying to evolve into a frog. (laughs) Moses once said to God, let me see your glory. And God says, you can't see me and live. i tell you what I'll do. This is comfort paraphrase. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll put you in the cleft of a rock, which is type of Christ. Rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide, my, let me hide myself in me. And then in the rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. And then God says, I'll let my goodness pass you by. It was, a, it was God's goodness that was going to kill Moses. In the same way that a good judge is furious at a criminal, God's goodness is furious at our sin. His wrath abides on us. That's what the Bible says. Every time we sin, we straw up wrath. In fact, our death is wages paid to us from God. The wages of sin is death. Your death is going to be evidence to you that God is deadly serious about sin. And so God let Moses see where he had passed by. And let him look on where he had been. And Moses' Moses' face so shone with the glory of God, Israel couldn't even look at his face. And it's that goodness sinners have to stand in on the day of judgment. And that goodness will fall upon them like grease lightning if they're in their sins. And that's why we want them to come to Christ. Homosexuals, adulterers, fornicators, blasphemers, whoever will may come. And so we plead with all men and this whole silliness about Christians hating homosexuals is just a lie. We love them. Yeah, it's a lie from the pits of hell because that's exactly where a, an ideology like that would come from. So again, guys, the name of the book is So Many Lines, So Few Daniels. It is in the show notes. You guys should go and definitely check it out. Before we get you out of here, I did want to ask you about something that I saw that was upcoming from your ministry, and it's a documentary you have coming out called What Is It? And this is a documentary that is taking on the abortion topic. So obviously, this has been a hot topic since Roe v. Wade, since the early 70s. They, the Supreme Court thought that was going to take care of the issue, and it did nothing of the sort. It just created uh, you know, this this 
constant issue over several decades. But then with Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood v. Casey going the way of tra- the trash bin last summer, we've we've gotten to this point now where there are a lot of people that are struggling with this issue. I've gone and spoken to churches and I've advocated to go and speak to even more churches to try to plead with them to say, your congregation is not as pro-life as you think it is. I could destroy most of these people pro, pro-life bona fides just by asking them one question, question what if she's raped or what if it's incestuous? And then all of a sudden people, Christians will be like, yeah, I guess we can kill that baby. And so I don't think Christians are sufficiently pro-life. I don't think they sufficiently understand the topic. And it seems like what is it is going to be addressing that. Do I have that correct? You have it right on. You hammered the nail in. Um, The whole issue sits on what is it? What is it that's in the womb? Hitler killed so many Jews because he said, what is it? It's not human. We'll kill them. And that's Mm -hmm. why he killed so many Jews. And if people think it's just a, a, a mucus or some little whatever, um, it's okay to kill it. But this is a human life. So this, what is it, is very, very powerful. It's uh, featuring Mark Spence, who's uh, on staff as uh, one of our leaders in our ministry. He's absolutely brilliant apologist, especially in this area. He's got such a passion. He was actually told to abort one of his kids. They, they t- the doctor said, this baby is definitely... Uh, deformed, it's not going to work, just uh, abort it. And he says, absolutely not, we trust God. And he's got a, he's got wonderful kids. The kid was completely healthy. So, yeah, thank you for mentioning that. Kyle, can I mention something else that we're doing that's super exciting? Yeah, go. Um, it's it's an outreach in London. You may not know that King Charles is going to be coronated on the 6th of May. Do you know that? I did, did not you know, know that. that. He's going to lay his hand on the Bible uh, in a church service. He's going, to, mm. he's, he's going to promise before God to uphold the biblical truth of salvation by grace through faith without works. He's going to be given three swords. One's a blunt sword, the sword of mercy. One's a sharp sword, the sword of justice. And the other's a sword of, uh, of civil law. He's going to carry an orb, which is a type of Christ, having dominion over the whole world. He's going to be anointed with oil. He's going to be prayed over. And this is going to be witnessed by literally hundreds of millions around the world. Hundreds of millions are going to line the streets of London to see a gold coach with a with a, a, a crown king. And they're going to call out, God save the king. He's going to carry a scepter as uh, David carried when he was coronated in Saul, uh, Solomon, Saul. And so I thought about six months ago, <clears throat> this would be a wonderful opportunity to bounce off this church where the whole world's going to church and proclaim the gospel. And so I made a little video just saying this to send to our team, a very rough video. And just after I sent the video, I got an email from a gentleman who said, what are you working on? So I told him, I sent him the video and he sent the ministry $200,000. Showed someone else the video, he sent $100,000. Showed someone else, they sent $50,000. So what we're doing is we've encouraged Christians to go to London on May the 6th and we've supplied 5 million of a gospel tract with King Charles on the front and the gospel on the back to give out because these are memorabilia. The mm. world is going to go crazy over these. They're going to love them because even the secular world knows how crazy the world is about the whole royal family, especially in America. We're also giving away 500,000 copies of a book called Defender of the Faith, which is what Charles is called to be, Defender of the Faith. Not only are these free, the 5 million tracks and the books, the 500,000 tra- books, paperback book free, but we are paying the shipping completely no charge to go to anywhere in Europe, anywhere in England, anywhere in Australia, anywhere in New Zealand, and anywhere in the U.S. So people can get details on how to get these free books and these free gospel tracks by going to livingwaters.com forward slash London. 
completely free, no ulterior motive. It's all paid for. Thanks to God, he's given me something better than a wet fleece. He's given the money up front, which I'm delighted about. That is excellent. I will make sure that we link to that in the show notes as well. One thing before you go that I did want to get your comment on, because I think this is all coming down to this, which will make our last question of the day. Something I've heard a lot recently, Ray, is from Christians. You know what? I want to be known for what I'm for, not what I'm against. Now, I use that as a as a cheat code for that person that basically they're cowardly in their countenance and they just want a pithy statement that easily fits on a t-shirt or a bumper sticker to make them feel good about the fact that they don't want to engage in the so-called culture wars. But the reality is, is like the culture is where the war happens. And so you're pushing back this darkness, but that is how you're showing light to the culture that will hate Christ. So talk to me a little bit about the people who live their lives on the statement. I want to be known for what I'm for, not what I'm against. Well, I'm for the gospel of everlasting life. I'm for sinners being saved from hell. I'm for pulling sinners from the fire, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. I'm against people going to hell. I'm against anyone dying in their sins. I'm for God with all my heart so I can be for and against. Yeah, you're right about people being wimpy, and we're called to be salt and light. Not just salt, but light. We're to expose sinners' sins before the day of wrath. And those who say they're Christians but don't bother, let me glee them with the words of Charles Spurgeon, who said that if we aren't concerned for the lost, he said, if you have no concern for the unsaved, how do you know you saved yourself? That's what Spurgeon said. And so we need to examine ourselves and see if we're being the faith and love will warn. Love will never let anyone go to hell. Love will reach out and, and, and stop someone from uh, terrible danger. And if you don't have the love of God in your heart, ah, I've got the quote from Spurgeon. I couldn't remember it. Have you no wish for others to be saved? Then you're not saved yourself. Be sure of that. And that challenges me and it should challenge everyone who professes to love God. I agree with that. That is a great way to leave this, but that's all for me. Is there anything else you want to get off your chest? I'd like to have more hair on my chest, but nothing I want to get off. Okay. Ray Comfort, thank you for coming on on Daunted Life of Man's podcast. There you go, guys. I hope you enjoyed my time with Ray Comfort. But before we let you go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost. At Undaunted Life, our mission is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. So here are the links that I've got for you today. I've got a link to the Living Waters website so you can get to all the stuff that we talked about in this episode, including the thing that he talked about uh, with uh, livingwaters.com front slash or backslash London so you can get all that there. I've got a link to so many lions, so few Daniel, so you guys can pick up a copy for yourself. And then I've got another link to all of his other books. So if you want to collect all the Ray Comfort books, you can get it right there on that link. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. Wherever you're listening to this, please subscribe, rate, and leave us a positive five-star review. If you want me to come speak live at your event or on your podcast, just shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life. That's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. Follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook and check out our website for everything else, including how to donate to keep more content like this coming your way. Just go to www.undaunted.life. And as always, we want to thank the band August Burns Red for allowing us to use their music for our content. The music on this podcast is our song Cutting the Tides, which is off their 10th anniversary re-recording of their album Leveler. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep pushing back darkness, keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical resilience, keep seeking the Lion of Judah. Judah.